0: RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today.
1: I didn't ever feel low. I never felt tired. I didn't ever feel low. I never was in a place where I felt like I wasn't gonna, going to achieve it. Um, but to keep moving forward with a real sense of purpose, not just kind of plodding one foot in front of the other, um, yeah, that that mantra to me was was massive. And I find that I always come into a phrase or a few words that I that I use as a mantra for every race. And they might be different, whether it's family or whatever. Um, but that's that's always one of my biggest tools is just that mental aspect of staying really focused and really clear about your intention that you're running.
0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for remaining patient during our podcast break um as i said in the last episode i will just be recording these podcasts from now on sporadically um but i will try and have an episode for you um, every now and then and i look forward to bringing you great stories in 2023 of amazing women doing incredible things Today on the podcast, I wanted to talk to some RMA women who recently ran at the Tarawera Ultra Marathon um, in February. And we had quite a lot of mums taking part in Tarawera this year, but particularly a lot of mums were taking on the miler. So I wanted to pick their brain in what it takes to run a miler kind of experience they had prior to deciding to run a mile, and why they would actually choose willingly to run 100 miles. 100 miles is just over 160 kilometers which is a really really long way and I wanted to find out what that actually feels like. So this episode we talked to four amazing mums in our community. Sophie Garrity, Sarah Greeley Emma Maber and Tina Kerwin about their experiences running Tarawira Ultra Ultramarathon. We also dive deep into what kind of training they did, what kind of nutrition they used, what it was like to have crew, what it's like to run at night, what it's like to run a miler when you're on your period, all sorts of things that our community wanted to know regarding running 100 miles so if that's you and you think that this is something that you might like to undertake you will love this episode. Of course running 100 miles isn't for everyone it isn't on everyone's radar including my own really but I was very intrigued to find out why someone would want to do that and what that actually felt like. So I hope you enjoy this episode with our Mila Mums. Before we begin a message from this week's sponsor Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mount Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hello everyone, welcome to the RMA podcast for everybody listening in we've got a special episode today this is the first probably the first episode for 2023 perhaps maybe the second I can't quite remember when I did the last one because it's been so long so apologies to everyone in podcast land who've been waiting um but I thought I'd kick off the year with a really really good one um so we have some amazing. I will call them RMA Mila mums um, that are joining me today. Um, we wanted to talk specifically about what it's like to run a hundred miles and we're talking about running a hundred miles at the Tarawera ultramarathon in 2023. So I have Sophie, I have Sarah, Emma and Tina who have joined me. Sophie and Sarah are from Sydney. Emma is from Victoria and Tina is from Brisbane, so in Queensland. So thanks, guys, for coming on the podcast today and giving up your time. Thank you for having us. Definitely.
2: Yeah, thank you for asking.
0: It's exciting. Like I was following the Tarawera journey um, because there was quite a lot of people I knew running over there. Um, And I was really interested actually to find out how many women and particularly mums, In our community, we're running like the big distances. It was actually blew me away a little bit to think, wow, look at all these mums having a go at the miler. Like that's, that's a really big commitment and a really big achievement. So I wanted to pick your brains because it's something that, you know, I guess over the past 10 years that I've been running long runs and ultra marathons or marathons, half marathons. The miler always been something that's intrigued me, but something I've always said, oh, no, not interested, don't ever want to do a miler. I still feel that way, mind you, Um, myself. You haven't convinced me yet, but maybe after this Hmm. conversation I might be swayed, but I kind of think, like, why would anyone want to do a miler? So that's my first question. Uh, Let me direct this one to Emma. Why would anyone want to do 100 miles on foot?
3: It's an excellent question and I think um, I'm surrounded by wonderfully inspirational people who always say, you know, why wouldn't you, why couldn't you? So um, when a friend of mine floated the idea of doing a miler, we kind of did that friendship thing of holding hands and jumping in the deep end together. And we decided that if we did it together, we'd probably be able to cope okay. And so we we spoke to a few people and they said, look, the training isn't that much different to training for a 100K. You're just going to be in the pain cave for a bit longer. And we were all like, well, you know, we're mums. We've done pain caves before. We can do this. Let's give it a crack.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I like that. I like that as mums, we
0: can... I guess dig a little deeper in the pain cave and I would agree with that (laughs) um I I think it takes me a while to feel a bit of pain I don't know if that's normal for everybody but you know most of the mums I've talked to who've run long races um don't feel the pain so much as maybe the guys do as well um and typically Mm -hmm. I think it's been sort of shown that women are really good at the long stuff Mm -hmm. and maybe that is because we have to endure a lot more I'm not quite sure um, but what about you, Sophie? Why did you choose to run 100 miles? What was it that sparked 100 miles in your interest?
1: Oh, I think I have a really good uh, long-standing reputation for being able to blame Sarah for all of my race entries. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, um, for me, specifically 100 miles I think for me, yeah, it was always Western States. So for me, Western States is kind of a bit of a bucket list item. And I'd said previously that the only mile I'll ever run will be be Western States. Um, But things, as we all know, in the world of especially trails and ultras, things escalate Pretty quickly, and you go from your first 50 and go, oh, I could go a little bit further, and then it turns into 100, and then 100, you know, it just kind of felt like a bit of a natural progression. Um, and I'm a big believer in, although I might whinge a little bit beforehand, um, if a goal is scary enough, it's probably the right one for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and never, I, I don't ever want to feel like I've left something out there that. Could possibly be achievable. Um, you don't know unless you give it a try. You know, like I'd rather try something and not achieve it and keep going at it than than kind of say, "I never gave that one a crack." So, well, let's talk to your enabler
0: now. So, Sarah, <laughs> why did you decide? Now, this was also was this your first Smiler, Sarah?
2: First Smiler, yes. Yep.
0: Why did you decide to sign up to Tarawera 100 miles?
2: Hmm. I too, like Emma, I'm surrounded by many inspirational women who encourage, and I like to encourage others too, including (laughs) so. And she can't say no, (laughs) although she's learning. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe next time she might. (laughs) Um. For me, the hundred mile was always on my list. Watching other women do it, my coach Jenny who's coached me for five years now, watching her do the miler, watching lots of other RMAs do it, thinking I can get there, I can do that one day. Mm. Just wanting to push myself and see how far I can get. Yeah, yeah. And again, the training wasn't too much more than the 100K, which I did last year in October. And I thought it's a perfect platform to keep going and just see what we can do. Great.
0: And what about you, Tina? I know this was your first 100 miles, but you did
1: the 100k there.
4: That's right. I did the 100k in 2018. And like you, I never wanted to run 100 miles. I had no intentions of ever doing a miler. My friends will tell you exactly the same thing. Uh And then I think during COVID when, you know, we didn't have much going on and there wasn't much to keep ourselves amused. um, Someone said, well, let's go and do the miler. And I'm like, Sure. <laughs> what else were we doing, doing during COVID? Uh-huh. Um, you know, roll on two and a half years by the time it came around. Um, but I think during that time when we were lucky in Queensland that we could still get out, we could still go to the trails and, and train a lot. Um, it was just something to focus on, something to look forward to that was not COVID. And obviously the intent was to run it in March 2020 or February 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the universe had different ideas, but... Um, I think it was it was COVID, but Tarawera always drew me from when I ran it in twenty eighteen. That was the first year they had the Myla, Um, They had the punamu, and there was something in the back of my head that said if I ever ever do a mila, it's going to be this one. So
0: mm. that's great, and then that yeah. that was one of the questions actually, and a lot of uh, questions in the podcast today have come directly from our network. Um, of women that wanted to ask specific things of you guys around a miler, but one of the questions was, um, you know, when you run uh Tarawera Ultra um, 100 miles, you get what's it called again? A Punamu, Poonamu, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so, what is that exactly? Can someone explain what that is?
4: So, the Punamu is well, it's called a Toki, but this one particularly is a Punamu and it's it's very special um in maori culture in new zealand um, you can't buy one for yourself it has to be earned um and it demonstrates strength internal strength so there's not an exact i guess uh translation for the word mana in new zealand but it's sort of like an internal strength that you have so to do that 100 miler and be presented with that at the end just shows to me it's a celebration of what you've achieved it's different from just a medal that hangs on the wall or a buckle or a hat or whatever else you might receive um it's just something that has got a lot of a lot of history a lot of power and uh you know I would say means a lot to anyone who's crossed that finish line and received that mm,
0: i love that and i love that you know you obviously come from new zealand yourself mm. so you have have that cultural awareness and um so thanks for sharing that because that was nice coming from you.
1: And I mean now I want the Panama. <laughs> <So, laughs> stop it. I think Nick, I think the uh, the main aim of this podcast should actually just be convincing you to go and do this.
3: <laughs> I'm just feeling like twenty twenty four is the year for Nicole.
2: Like uh, right? no. I'm already I going.
0: <laughs> I, I haven't run an ultra marathon since twenty eighteen. I, I just don't know. It's still time. Yeah. Maybe one day, but not You've
1: next got- year. You've got thirty six hours, and we listened to Sarah and I listened to the um, the Dirt Church um, Q and As that we're doing, and Kara Suda did it, walked it in thirty six hours. So you could do it.
0: You mm. could. You could definitely do it.
1: <laughs> you <could> do it.
0: <laughs> well, let's see. Watch your space. But I mean, I was just going to start with the fifty k. So you
1: know,
0: <laughs> maybe we'll go back for more later. Um, I wanted to, before we go into your experiences um, of running 100 miles, can you tell us, Emma, how far is 100 miles for those that don't know?
3: It's a good question. So I think when we looked at the original race course, it was supposed to be around about 163. I think we ended up doing 162 Ks or thereabouts. um, And that was because we had a last-minute course change but yeah it's just over 160k so yeah decent it's a decent way
0: it's a, it's a long way it's a very very long way yeah. uh, for pretty much anybody but you know you guys did it and you should be proud of yourselves um and I wanted to find out from each of you just really briefly um what kind of running had you done this is one of the specific questions that we had What kind of running had you done leading up, not in training, that's not what I mean, but like over the years, Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of running experience had you had before you decided to attempt the miler? So let's start with you, Tina. What kind of running experience have you had before you started attempting a miler Mm
4: -hmm. i've done a lot of long distance stuff and a lot of trails so i think i counted excluding the miler before this i've done uh 10 100k events um and a number of 50ks and what have you so but this distance still terrified me (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) yeah and it was only actually probably the night before i realized i recognized what that that terrifying feeling was and I hadn't encountered it since my first 100k event in 2013 so 10 years ago I just had that recollection of wait I remember this I remember this feeling so but yeah training I've I mean I've run lots of long distance stuff so that's always what I've enjoyed doing and being out on the trails is definitely my happy place
0: mm. and what about you Emma um, what kind of running experience had you had before 100 miles
3: yeah a similar story I mean lots of trail um, and fifties, sixties and hundreds in that mix. Um, I certainly wouldn't suggest going out and doing a mile without getting a couple of hundreds under your belt just because, uh, you know, to know how your body responds in that environment. And I think also it has to be trail because trail is obviously a very different ball game to to road or flat. Mm-hmm. So getting, you know, the, those sort of mountains in there and, um, and that different sort of terrain yeah, the uneven terrain.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, people would have read your story on the website that I posted today, or if they haven't, people can go on there and read your recap of the Tarawera 100 miles. And you had talked about in that that, you know, before this event you knew that you had to work really hard to get your body strong because you hadn't actually prepared it prior um, to deciding to do the 100 miles Um and you were getting broken because you weren't actually training your body properly so agree you need to think specifically of the terrain that you're going to be running and make your body as strong as possible
2: yep what about you Sarah um previously I've done two 100s so UTA 100 last year which was another course change so slightly shy of 100 and then 2018 I did Surf Coast 100 um and then quite a few UTA 50s and six foot track marathons all trails a few mirrored marathons but yeah definitely doing the Mila off the back of last year's hundred I think helped a lot yeah my body was half strong already I just had to platform off that training and keep going. you'd done Lara Pinta before I have well. done Lara Pinta. Yeah. yes yeah. yeah and that was a stage race
0: yeah I think
2: just yep exactly so backing up four days in a row on that terrain as well Mm. waking up fatigued running on tired legs definitely Mm. definitely helped get me stronger yeah
1: what about you so yeah so um I guess probably similar race history to Sarah just with a with some fewer six-foot tracks because mine is a postponed entry from 2018, <laughs> and I'm still waiting to get back to it. Um, yeah, so a couple of hundreds. I did Lara Pinter, but I did the Westmax Monsters version, so yeah. 131Ks was my longest run prior to the miler, um, but that was over 34 hours. So I kind of had a good idea of what my body would feel like with that level of, of kind of fatigue and time um awake and moving. Um and yeah, fifties, road marathons, you know, Great North Walk, 50 mm. miles, those kind of those kind of things. Um and I think when you look back at when you look at back at them, the difference in those terrains is huge. You know, you got everything from UTA with like, you know, kind of fire trails and big steep downhills to, you know, Larapinta Trail, which is just scrambly rock shale like bleep bleep you know <laughs> <Gnarly>. <laughs> for a PG audience it, you know it's just insane kind of technical trails it's just not runnable mm. um so I think that was one of the things that kind of going into the miler made me feel quite confident in that that by you know by that point in my inverted commas running career mm. um you know I kind of felt like I would covered most types of terrain so it was kind of like there was n- not there wasn't much left that could intimidate me in terms of what we would be facing. Sh- you know, shy of the mud and waterfalls that we were potentially looking at. You mm-hmm. know, in the you know the weeks leading up to it, the weather was yeah. um, pretty scary. So we were um, well versed in course changes. Um, you know, from from that side of things, I think it's been dubbed the uh, the Ironman Curse now. From UTA to COSI to Tarawera, mm-hmm. they've you know they're pretty well versed in these course changes now
0: yeah that's right I feel sorry for them in a way but I mean it's a bit of an adventure for anyone that decides to sign up for any of their races I guess you might get snow you might get cyclones I mean (laughs) who knows (laughs) um I wanted to find out about why you specifically decided Tarawera would be your hundred mile race because there are other hundred miles and you know you have talked about um wanting to do western states Sophie but why did Tarawera spark your interest like why was Tarawera one of the hundred mile races that you really wanted to do Tina uh
4: for me it was because I've done Tarawera before one the year I did it was the year after It was just torrential rain. There was literally mud waterfalls. There was mud, you know, calf deep going up um, Okatayna, which is the first climb that we went up in the miler. And the whole thing had just been so hard. But the race is just incredible. It just has the most amazing people. The trails and the countryside around Rotorua are amazing. They're just absolutely stunning. The volunteers are incredible um and i wanted to go back and give it another go um and i have this this sort of thing if i'm going to travel a long way i'm usually going to do one of the longer if not longest events so um yeah between the place and the panama which we spoke about before yeah if i was going to do ever a or it was going to be that one
0: i mm, love it oh you're selling it i must say um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you know we've talked about how you guys all have really good experience on trails and running ultras and just years of I guess learning how your body will adapt and cope with sort of the terrain or what might calm your way. I guess no one can really understand what might happen to them when you tackle running a hundred miles. I mean 160 odd kilometers is a really, really long way. And even if we've run a few hundred K races, we really don't know what it's gonna feel like. Um, to to run 100 miles but if you could think of one word to describe what running 100 miles feels like just one word what would that word be I'll start with Sarah
2: um (laughs) that's a tough one (laughs) one word probably exhausting (laughs) love it (laughs) i can imagine <laughs> i was pretty i was
0: pretty tired out there yeah uh, what about you say i'm going to say powerful mm, like it what about you emma epic good good and what about you tina
4: oh uh, i've got a whole lot of words going through my head <laughs>
3: <laughs> you
4: get one. Um, definitely tiring <laughs> yeah mm. But not just the event, just the, even the, the lead up and the planning and the thinking and the and all that sort of stuff for yeah. me was probably harder than the actual event.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, that leads me to my next question is, like, I, I was talking about it today with someone how when we're training for these big races, like, they just take up so much of our time mm-hmm. and so much of our life, our whole existence gets wrapped up in this project, so to speak. Um so let's talk about that now like what was the training in the lead up like for each of you and I know it's going to be different for each of you because everybody's got different lives and different kids and ages of their kids and careers and things like that um, but like what kind of training did you make sure that you completed before the event um, and you know you can say whether you coached or you self coached or did you follow a plan didn't you follow a plan um, and like was there any setbacks along the way? So let's start with you, Sarah. What kind of training did you do leading into Tarawera 100 miles? Obviously, you'd done the 100 in the, did you say, October beforehand?
2: Yep, yeah, UTA 100 in October. Yeah, And I'm coached by the lovely Jenny Morris, RMA coach, and have been for quite a few years. So she writes our plans online. And um, generally, I run five days in my week. So I've got two little girls who I also mum and run about and drop off here and there and everywhere. Mm -hmm. So trying to fit it all in with them and my husband was pretty tricky, but I found for me, the best thing was getting up super early before all the family were up and getting my runs in. So that worked for me. Some were in the dark, some were with people, some were by myself. Listening to podcasts, getting yeah. through it, um, but at the same time, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of a lot of time to myself, but I felt like I got stronger, and yeah, managed to managed to ju- juggle it all. Quite, yeah, you know, I was pretty happy with how my body felt leading into the Myla. Um, I probably had some big weeks, which were over a hundred kilometers probably three or four weeks, which I ran over hundred K's those weeks. Um, so they were pretty tough and in the heat as well over Christmas yeah. and New Year's we were training. So it took away a little bit of family time, I have to say, mm. but um, you know, my husband was super supportive and um, picked up as well with some of the kids stuff and the kids, you know, I think they watched me do it all and and you know almost admired me doing it all as well. I think they mm. they didn't didn't it it didn't take too much away from them. They um they enjoyed watching me do my runs and coming back and helping me out afterwards going for swims together and jumping in the ocean after a lot of our runs. Mm. Um yeah, so I think it it was tough but definitely rewarding in the end getting to that finish line feeling fairly strong except for my feet yeah
0: and did you like Sophie did you have to do a lot of like specific side of sort of running like back to back runs or really big runs on trails like what did you focus on
1: particularly yeah, so I have the same um same coach as Sarah and um I will just pause and say Sarah your girls don't almost admire you they do admire you <laughs> so <laughs> just uh noting that um so yeah, lots of you know trails as and when you can I mean obviously you know similar juggles with Sarah and I've got same age um children, I've got boys, she's got girls, um, you know, there's a huge juggle that you do. So a lot of the kind of midweek runs were just road, just out the front door, you know, local hills, hill repeats running, you know, every hill you can find type thing. Um we would normally build up a midweek long run, so um, anything, you know, kind of up around or above kind of 20Ks, on, you know, kind of on a Wednesday or something um, and then backing that up kind of either side with with relatively long runs. So I, you know, would also do five runs a week and then as we were building um, up into those peak weeks, it went up to six runs a week for, for a handful of weeks as well. Um, So I'd done Blackall 100 in October. I think it was the week before UTA or the week after. I can't remember now. Mm -hmm. It was either side. Um, And so I I had a similar platform um, into the miler training, which was quite good. Um, Same, you know, same hurdles as we would all have, uh, you know, with heat training and stuff. And then um, over the weekend, you know, that long run, you know, would go anywhere from kind of... 30k's above i think we hit, we hit a lot of 30k runs on a on a saturday or on a sunday and then um you know backing up with a you know kind of a mid run uh, you know kind of 15 16 20k something like that on the sunday yeah. um and then our peak week was a 50k run and for me my training kind of personally i hit a couple of bumps in the road um we lost my father-in-law um in early January so there was that really affected me um emotionally and physically it left me really drained kind of trying to run through that grief and then you know I'm trying to get my long runs in or even just runs the couple of days after he passed away and feeling incredibly guilty about you know walking out the house and putting shoes on um I didn't Anticipate how physical or how how it would affect me so physically, um, running through something like that and a a time like that. And although it was cathartic as well, my body just had nothing. Um, Mm. You know, I couldn't run up. You know, any of my local hills. I'd kind of run for five hundred meters and I have to walk up a hill, um, which. In hindsight, in a very strange twist of fate, was actually great training as well because you don't go out and run 100 miles and run every single one of those mm. <laughs> 161 kilometers. Um, so the walking, in a in a really strange way, I had to be quite forgiving on myself to uh, you know to kind of accept that that was actually probably a good thing as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just about kind of loading the body, lots of strength work as well. So um, both Sarah and I do um, a couple of strength classes a week as well which is quite focused strength for runners um so really using all those small muscles and and training them to be strong and just um really trying to keep that that strength in Mm. your body because that's what you need you know when you're fatiguing um that's what you need to kind of pull you through those last 20 30 40 kilometers 100 kilometers (laughs) yeah yeah 100 kilometers (laughs)
0: And like Emma, you you spoke about in your recap that you did the strength work as well and, and also you did a few um, adventure runs, I guess I'd call them, like you did one with Izzy where you paced her um, at Costa Cosy. and that was, I guess, part of your incidental training.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, a, a lot of the whole Tarawa, I mean, obviously that was the end goal, right? But I think the process has to be fun. I, I don't run for a job. I run for joy and for mental health and for connection with some incredible friends that I've made through running, right? And, and so for me, if the process in itself of the training wasn't enjoyable, I wasn't really all that keen. So I think. I was lucky enough I had an amazing coach, um, Roselle, who runs the Lilydale Running Company. And, you know, she understood that although some of the events that I had on my agenda weren't necessarily perfect Tarawara training plans, like a, you know, New York Marathon, what's that got to do with a a trail run, right? But I think having someone who can see that there's a bigger picture, which is enjoying the process of the training, you know, I I was lucky enough to to find myself an absolutely incredible PT, you know, Simone. And, and she, again, she made the sessions really fun. So going to PT three times a week, part of it was initially rehab, and then it kind of tweaked to just be race readiness, was about enjoying the sessions. And there wasn't ever a day where I went, oh, I just don't want to go today. Mm-hmm. You know, some days, we would tweak what we were planned and would change it up depending on how the body was feeling or how the mind was feeling, you know, because there's days where you just, you've had something really stressful happening with your kids or something really awful has happened at work. And you really just don't have the same sort of oomph that you would normally have. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like I said in my, my write-up that it's, it is such a team thing to get someone to a miler, you know, it's, yeah, okay, you're the person that has to actually end the end of the day do the steps, do the running, do the program, do the thing, but it's something that is so much easier and more fun to do when you're doing it with others. And and so I've got my Friday track girls that I run with on Friday and we're just a group of running mums and we just meet on a track and we just run around and some of them talk a bit more than they run and that's all good. It doesn't matter, right? Like we're all just there to enjoy ourselves and then Having the people that were willing to put their hand up and say, Oh, I'll do a night run in the middle of the night. Let's start at two in the morning. That sounds great, you know. And (laughs) just finding these people that, um, you know, are inspiring and encouraging and and want to be part of the process. And and you're on their journey with them as much as they're on your journey with you, you know. And it's, I don't know, I just think there's so much camaraderie in the journey of the training.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. Like people don't, I was reading a few different articles about milers to prepare myself for what I wanted to ask. And most of them said that it's about the journey. It's actually not really even about the race itself. It's about getting there. It's like about the whole picture. So it's about the people that come alongside you to help you get there. Um, And then the people that are there when you're actually Going through the process of running the mile,er and we'll get into that about the people that you know came with you, you ran alongside or crewed or paced or what have you. It's about your family who are also sharing the load and the time so that you can achieve this goal. So it's a little bit of a a broader picture and a bit of a journey. Um, I guess at the the hundred mile family, maybe um, of all the people that are involved, um, so that you can tick off this monumental goal um so Tina quickly how about you how did your preparation go for Tarawera and I mean it was a little bit harder for you because you had had a significant injury last year
4: yeah so the first two so I trained for Tarawera in 2020 2021 and that went great and I trained in 2021 2022 and that went great this training didn't go so great um I had a stress fracture when I was recovered from that, I discovered I had tendinopathy in my adductors, so I still couldn't run. Uh, and as that recovered, my ankle decided it didn't want me to run anymore either. So my training was a lot of uh, cycling, uh, stepper when the body could handle that, uh, a little bit of elliptical, uh, and then just being really careful with the running and really following the physio's advice really closely, lots of strength work. Um, most of the time I couldn't even run two days in a row because I had to let the body recover um, I really only had probably to be honest a full week solid running training block um I'm tra- uh, trained by Kerry and Ellie from squad run and obviously obviously Tarawera is their backyard and their jam mm-hmm. so um, lots of local knowledge and tips from them which were great um but my goal knowing i couldn't do the running training i wanted was to do everything else that i could to get me through so um i went through the process with a dietitian i had the strength work just building up everything else i could mm. to get my body through that 100 miles if if the running training wasn't going to be you know what i wanted it to be
0: mm. and i mean i know that it's probably disappointing that you didn't you know get to run it like you would have wanted to but I want to say congratulations <laughs> you still did it you still got yourself there and you still ticked it off and there was no way that Tina was going to pull
4: no I was getting it down look to be honest I'm not just a, like you know I do look and go oh it would have been great if I could run you know a bit more when I wanted to run but my whole goal was to get to the finish line yeah. and and do it and I did that so I'm I couldn't be happier
0: yeah good all right, well, let's get into the race now. Um, one specific question that someone wanted to ask, and you guys now have local knowledge on the ground, so people that might like to come next year, um, myself included, I've already booked my accommodation, just saying. Um, <laughs> get on that now, everyone. Um, yes. Yep. Is how, like, logistics-wise, I mean, Tina, you might be the best person to talk about this. Mm-hmm. How does one actually get to the... From the airport to this race, and like, is there any logistics we really need to be mindful of if people want to come to Tarawera?
4: Yeah, look, I would say, um, especially if you're doing one of the longer events, um, or even actually, even if you're doing one of the shorter events, allow yourself extra travel time. Um, I know there were planes from Sydney that were cancelled or delayed on the Thursday night or Friday, and people were arriving after registration and no one needs that kind of stress in their life mm-hmm. um, we actually flew over on the Tuesday um, and arrived a lot of the flights arrived quite late at night um, but it also gave me a couple of days to adjust there is a two or three hour time difference depending where you're coming from give your body some time to adjust to that to get into getting to sleep earlier so you can get some sleep before the night before the race um, in terms of logistics i think your best option is to fly to Auckland hire a car drive down to Rotorua Um, it's about three three and a half hours it's a nice drive stop along the way take some photos Um, but you've got transport then and you've got um, you know a mode to get around and, and you're not reliant on buses or public transport you know there are buses that travel but you need to be able to get around if you've got crew they need to be able to to get around and meet you so
0: yeah great great and I really like the getting in we actually booked accommodation then and I thought uh oh, actually gonna book a day earlier than that now yeah. like because um yeah if flights are delayed and things like that it's I don't want the extra stress
4: <laughs> don't need it like we didn't we drove down to Rotorua on the Thursday um but we had that time up our sleeves so mm-hmm.
0: that's yeah. right that's right so that's a really good tip um, so, what was the vibe like at the race? Do you want to talk about that, Emma? Um, like when you got there at the, um, you know, picking up your race bib and all that kind of stuff. What was the vibe like?
3: It was pretty amazing. I mean, um, the you know the whole the whole environment's like set up with these beautiful statues and there's you know there's um there's people around that you know from everywhere I felt like I was constantly going up to people and giving them hugs and going oh my gosh I'm so excited to see you and you know there was that sort of nervous energy that's excited that was sort of in in the environment there was also a little bit of the you know um trepidation of like holy moly what are we actually doing and is this is are we smart (laughs) (laughs) um and then I think Uh Going into the, no, we're not smart. <laughs> and then going into the um, the merch tent and seeing your name printed on the back of a hoodie under Mila was just like, oh, my goodness, I have to buy that. But now that I've bought that, I have to do the thing, you know, <laughs> to wear the to wear them hoodie. And so I was so immensely proud to be able to buy this jumper with my name written on it and just like, whoa, that's so cool. But I, th- I think that it was just—it was just so wonderful. I was so delighted to see so many, you know, of my local Victorians, so many of the Victorian ultra runners, like lots of, um, lots and lots of RMA's that I just know from around the traps. and you know, all these people, these these faces in this land that seems so far away, mm. Mm. and that's
0: exciting. Like I, I remember, well, my only was it my only no I've been twice now to just Queenstown and just it's so exciting going to another country to run Mm,
3: super exciting
0: super exciting um what about the race changed like the course changed um because of obviously they had bad weather so how did that affect you um Sarah do you want to talk about this like how did this affect you personally and also how did that change the logistics for your particular race plan?
2: (laughs) Well, I was well-versed in course changes from the year before. So um, I feel like it, look, it didn't affect me too much. I was just pumped to get out there, put on my race bib, and let's just get into this 160-odd case. (laughs) So I really didn't want it to affect me. I had already planned out a lot of my nutrition, and my drop bags with the original course so that was that played on my mind just a little bit Mm. um and i thought nope it's okay it's not too bad we're gonna get your head around this so i just printed out as soon as they released it printed it all out so i could a visual person so i could visually see the map get it in my head whereabouts we were going now Mm. what the variations were and the different distances between those aid stations and where we could have our drop bags so just to adjust those nutrition um refills accordingly so I guess I tried to take it in my stride and not let it bother me and I I didn't really know the course anyway not having done Tarawera before Mm. so look it was all new and it was all beautiful scenery so yeah I feel like it It didn't affect my race plan too much
0: and was it actually a good thing as well because i i know (laughs) for the people running the miler that actually meant that you got to see your crew a lot more so was that actually a benefit of the course change
2: (laughs) absolutely absolutely so they said that it was a lot more the spectators could see us a lot more and i feel like even we saw each other as runners a lot more so um i love races where you get those out and backs and you get to see the front runners coming towards you and they just you know it's just amazing vibe watching them speeding through and it just gives you a little bit more spurt of energy and and seeing each other you know soph and i high-fived at about 44ks i think it was and we saw each other out and back and and that was really cool so i i I enjoyed it didn't bother me
0: so originally, yeah. it was the course like one big loop
2: and then it changed? Yes. So, yes. What did so it, it was two. Yep. Yeah, was one big loop. And now we ended up coming. So we started outside at Ocotena and then came in to Rotorua and then did two big loops. Okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, I, and I think one of the good things about having those two loops other than the fact that we could obviously see our families and our crew and all of that a bit more easily is I didn't feel like I missed out because like we did, we did one loop right in the light and I was like, oh, so I think I would have been a bit bummed if I'd done some of it in the dark where you really don't see the same amount of stuff. Mm. So doing the same loop twice meant that you sort of felt like, oh, well, I'm not going to really miss out on seeing this incredibly beautiful place because I've done it once in the light. So the next step time I'm doing it in the dark, it, it's, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it didn't feel quite the same that I was going to miss out on seeing some. And I guess it's good inspiration to go back so you can do like the whole big circle.
1: Yeah, you can go back and
3: do
0: another 100 miles. Righto, I'll let you do that. Um, what about, like, the fact that you had never, apart from Tina who'd done Tarawera before, not the miler, but had been there before. What about the rest of you that had not done it before? How did you prepare yourself for not knowing what was coming? Particularly, do you want to talk
1: about that, Sue? I think, um, I think either way, regardless of whether we had done the original course or the alter course, we still hadn't seen it. Mm. And uh, I think one of the things that training for some of these bigger events really teaches you is this mindset aspect to ultra running Um, because it's never just about what your body is physically capable of doing because that changes and you know you can go out and have the best best run of your life on the worst training or you can go out and have the worst race of your life on the best training you know it, it there's so much that you can't account for. And so if you go into something like that and, you know, like Sarah had, you know, the altered UTA course or the COSY guys had, you, you know, the night before, 7pm the night before at Ultra Trail COSY, they didn't have a course. Mm. Um, if you let something like that affect you, it writes so much of your story of what's going to happen on race day um, and it takes away so much of the, of the joy. Um, and so I think we knew it was going to be beautiful regardless of what course we ran um and it was still so exciting we were all in the same boat you know it was um it was still parts of the course and it was still you know 99% of it was all still trail so it wasn't like they you know had to stick us on, you know, these massive road out and backs or anything like that just to give us the distance. They did a really good job um, of putting that course together. I mean, I know it's the, it's the 50 course, um, but it was really well executed and you're just so excited to actually get to the start line because, for again, for Sarah and I, it was like for Tina, you know, we've been trying to get to this race for, you know, coming up to 3 years I said I've got third third times a charm kind of thing um with the race being cancelled and with covid and us being locked out um so I think we were just so excited to actually get there that you know we just went into it with uh, certainly I did you know just that absolute determination that I'm not going to let it bother me you know it's not going to to be the be-all, end-all of, of this race. And like Emma said, it's a good excuse to go back and, and mm-hmm. get that boat ride and get those cocktails on that boat because, God damn it, they took that away from us. <laughs> yeah, you get a little boat ride. That's kind of cool. Is that only in the miler? That's at about the 45, 50k mark of the miler course, so we didn't get to do that. Um, but we did get to do Redwoods three times, which I was like, I got emotional. I don't know if anyone else did, but that last time coming into into Redwoods with 7k's to go I looked at my pacer and uh, my eyes just filled up. I was so, because that aid station is just like disco central. It was oh. so good. I
3: love the um, like runway lights that put as you came, you know, in through this beautiful, dark, incredibly yeah. old forest and they had like
1: runway fairy lights down the side and then you come into this party. cheering and everything. Yeah everybody was just so excited to see you and i mean i i was i was the slowest out of the the four of us so each time i came through redwoods it, it was actually still light i didn't do it in the nighttime at all um but just there was it was always was, it was always pumping there were so many people there it was just that was for me that was one of the highlights was redwoods well let's talk about the
0: terrain then so Obviously, you've all run different races before. You know, you've talked about doing Lara Pinta, which is really like deserty, rocky, crappy ground. <laughs> um, you know, Surf Coast, which is like beautiful flowing trails and sand by the ocean. Um, what was Tarawera like? Who wants to talk about that? Tina, what kind of, what kind of like, if you could paint a picture for someone who's never seen it before, like, obviously, if you look at them, website you can see the beautiful big trees which <laughs> when I was reading Emma's recap just I highlighted I don't know if you read it Emma on the website but I I bolded specific things that you said because one of them was like just how in awe you were of this place you were running and how privileged and lucky you felt and um you know maybe you can talk a little bit about what it's like um because people who choose to um, create these courses do it in a way that in you know it is it ignites our senses and it inspires us to to want to run in these beautiful landscapes so what's it like running at Tarawera
4: mm-hmm. well um, so obviously the course was different than we'd originally expected um, and like um, I think Sophie said you know they did a fantastic job of pulling it together for us the terrain um, you start off and we did start at 4 o'clock in the morning, so it was dark for a good couple of hours. Um, but last time I went through that section of the course, um, I had done it in the daylight and it was mud. But it was, you know, getting light when we got to the top. Uh, and that section of the course is absolutely stunning. It's just beautiful. It's single track. There's beautiful ferns and creeks. And it's just a really, really lovely place. Um, you pop out of there onto a road and go down and then you run get to run around Blue Lake. Um and there was just lakes everywhere. Um, there's always something to look at. You're sort of half trying to look at the lake, at the scenery, and then watch your feet, and then there's a camera going off in your face. <laughs> um, and there was a little bit of road. So once we went around Blue Lake, we got to the Blue Lake Aid Station. Uh, and then from there, we went up what's known as Tongariro Path, um, which it's not a massive hill but i think by the third time we got up, up over it i was certainly had enough of it <laughs> and coming down the other side and let's not talk about the steps down the other side into the redwoods um but the redwoods itself if you know when you run there it is just amazing it's like running on soft carpet the it's just it's just beautiful you've got these towering trees it's it's what when you don't know what trail running is and you dream about trail running it's what you picture it's just perfect <laughs> um, and then there's a little bit of road as well and some you know fiery trail type stuff and a bit of scrambling um in the 50k course section there was a few big trees a couple of big trees that we had to climb over um but yeah overall i thought the terrain was pretty good but i know some of the other girls had problems with feet so maybe you might want some of their feedback <laughs>
0: Yeah. What about you, Sarah? You had a problem with your feet. I mean, I'd mean, i I'd be really interested to know if nobody has any issues with their feet at all running 100 miles. I mean, I've done 100k races and my feet have been fine, I must say, but 160 odd k's, I'm not sure if they would be totally fine. What do you think caused your issues with your feet? Was it terrain
2: or what do you think? Uh, maybe it was a bit variable. A lot of the terrain oh there were bits where i got quite a bit of grit in my shoes and sort of it was it was um sloshing around in there for a little while mm. before i got to an aid station and changed my socks and dumped it out um so maybe that had a little bit to do with it um but it didn't happen till about 130 odd k's which obviously it's all new you know un- up to 100 k's totally fine and then in that whole new section where I'd never run that far before about 130 odd k's I just yeah just got lots of fluid and blisters on my feet and got a bit tricky from there so Mm -hmm. I think it was a mixture of things maybe I could have changed my shoes would have been maybe a something in in hindsight that I might do differently next time Mm -hmm. put on a different pair of shoes just for a different um, variability and the way that you land in them or yeah so I did change my socks quite a few times so I'd recommend lots of socks changes um that that helped so yeah I think a few different factors which in hindsight I might maybe try to overcome on the next mother we'll see
0: (laughs) well that was one of the questions was about gear so what kind of mandatory gear did you have to carry for? this particular 100 miles and also yeah like did you change gear so obviously you didn't change your shoes (laughs) but what about everyone else like what kind of did you have to carry
3: i actually thought that the mandatory gear was quite reasonable for this particular event i mean um it probably was made a little bit easier by the fact that by the you know when we did end up having the loops that you had um, better access to aid stations But the you know the sort of the usual suspects of first aid kit, um, you know needing to have uh, your thermals, your your beanie, your gloves, your your thermal long top, your waterproof jacket, those sorts of things. They were all fairly um, standard. The the head torch with a spare battery was interesting. I know a few people who, despite having the spare battery, still had some troubles with head torches, Mm. Um, and obviously and a phone. even though a lot of the parts of where you go, you're not going to have phone reception. You you still needed to have the phone. But I still found the mandatory requirements um, fairly reasonable for for the event. Um, I put a lot of stuff in drop bags that I didn't touch. So I put changes of clothes, changes of socks, changes of shoes in all my drop bags. I changed my socks just once um, and I actually didn't change my shoes. And in hindsight, I probably... Would have been better off to have changed my shoes at probably like the 130, maybe 120K mark, just to give your feet a little bit more space to move. But I do think that there was a lot more, I mean, and they did talk about it in a lot of the briefings, et cetera. There's a lot more um, like pumice stone um, from the volcanic sort of area um, that we're not used to. Mm. And that stuff is really gritty. And so I got—I never get blisters. Like I run in in gingy socks. I, I have never, ever had a blister on a 100K anything, right? And I had a number of blisters that actually required me to stop and get a bit of first aid along the way. But um, I think, and that was even with gaiters actually, but I think that the, those bits of pumice, they're so tiny, they just they just get in. So I think the changing socks and changing shoes actually would have been a really good strategy
1: and they were really clear about that in the um in the briefings and stuff as well weren't they and um i mean definitely in terms of mandatory gear what we were required to take felt so much um less obtrusive and cumbersome than you know like uta or you know barapinta those kind of runs which was amazing because it felt you felt a lot just lighter because yeah. it. it was great um, but absolutely, in the briefings, they were really clear about that—that that, the makeup of the the earth and the soil—and um, um, I managed to. <sighs> get myself hooked up with a um, a local um chick who paced me from the 100k mark and you know she was explaining to us when we're on the trails because um, I did change my shoes um that because of the makeup of that real pumice earth and trail when it when everything dries out it drains really quickly and it gets really hard um and and so that aside from the you know the grittiness in your socks like that has a real impact on your feet um, and so I did change my shoes because she told me to. um, And that helped massively. Um, I didn't get any feet issues until literally the last probably 5Ks. We were running back through. So you come through Redwoods and you have 7Ks of flat um, to take you back up to Village Green. And that's round kind of Sulphur Point, which stank. Like, I cannot (laughs) even put into Mm -hmm. words... What that last seven k smelled like. There were people running along with like their buffs over their face, mm. dry retching, vomiting. <laughs> but it was just unbearable. Um, and um, it was it was delightful. Um, but yeah, probably about that last five k's in between my toes, and I'm the same as Emma. You know, running in gingies. Never had you know blisters as a result of a run, well, you know certainly not for for many many years, and um, I literally just felt like something kind of almost exploded in between my big toe and my second toe, and it was just this like blister that just went boom. I'm here. Mm. It kind of stopped me in my tracks, and you know kind of tried to work out what it was, and I went you know what it, your five Ks from the finish, it's gonna hurt whether you run or whether you walk just keep running. Mm. Um, and it was just a matter of, yeah, just kind of getting through it. But I know that, um, you know, for, I was lucky that it, it you know, happened at, at that point because it was, and the only thing I can put that down to is literally that that difference in terrain that aside from running on a road, you're not kind of used to that mm. um, impact just for for that long, that many hours.
0: And I think that's, I mean, it's, it's true in any races that you're going to have Challenges that come along, um, particularly more so, I would say, in a hundred miles, <laughs> if you're going to have highs and you're going to have massive highs and then you're going to have massive, massive lows as well. I'm sure, and I'm sure that each of you had those moments in your, in your race. Um, does anyone want to share any of the particular highs apart from you know, obviously finishing <laughs> that would have been a highlight. I know Emma, <laughs> in your recap, you talked about
3: glow worms it was so funny the glowworm thing because we were my patient and i were running along with this new friend we made called penny who was a runner from singapore was it a know. real person was was real, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> she was a real person okay um, and um, we were running along and we decided we all needed to change our head torch batteries. And we're like, look, let's all stop and just do it all together so we can all just keep, go- keep going. And it was a, a kind of chat and we, we all stopped. And we were in the process and we all simultaneously turned off our head torches and went, oh, wow. And then around us was just this incomprehensible beauty of little dots, There's like, Soft blue light dots, and we were just standing there, going, "Oh my goodness, we did not expect this. I'd never even considered it." And we just stood there for a moment and and just soaked in this magical space that we were in with these glowworms. And it was really funny because I was reading on one of the Tarawara chats after it all. Oh, someone was saying, "Oh, did anyone hallucinate on their runs?" And someone said, "Oh, yeah, I hallucinated glowworms." I'm like, "No, no, no." <laughs> No, of no, that was actually glowworms. So you weren't actually hallucinating. Wow! But yeah, it was pre- that was pretty special. Like I, I think that'll be a moment in my my life that it will be you know embedded as this incredible memory. Mm, it sounded pretty amazing.
0: Did anyone else see the glowworms? No.
1: No. <laughs> Man, you did hallucinate. <laughs> Are you thought sure it was real. <laughs> no one else saw the memo. <laughs> I, I
3: pasted it and she was on fresh legs. She was on fresh <laughs> legs. A lot of love.
0: <laughs> what about um Sarah? Do you want to talk about any of your really, if you had any, bad low points?
2: Um my low point? Probably, I think it's happened in, well, it happened in this race and the UTA hundred was probably around 70 Ks, just lack of energy, literally just running out of energy, whether it was maybe my nutrition had run out or, you know, I wasn't fueling as much as I was in the first 50, 60 Ks. Um, so it's happened in two races now. So I might have to figure out what I can do better next time, but probably between 70 to 80 K's. I just felt quite flat a bit low on energy. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I never stopped moving. I didn't stop, you know, just that determination pushes you through yeah. and, and just had to end up problem solving and think, okay, well, well, what can I get into my body? Because, um, I need, I need fuel. I need electrolytes. I just, tried to drink as much as I could and literally by about 80k I was up again and, and had a spurt of energy and was feeling great again and I think actually when I started to feel good was one of those out and backs where I started to see people mm. and I started to you know people were smiling at me people were cheering us on and, um, and I think that just lifted me again and as, you know, started eating again, and up I came. So mm. yeah, it it wasn't low for too long. But it was definitely definitely a flat point, I guess. Mm. Yeah,
0: and that's the roller coaster ride right, of running ultras. Um, oh, absolutely! You're gonna have you're going to have a roller coaster. You're gonna be up, and then you're gonna be down. Then you're gonna be up, and then you're gonna be down. Hopefully, you have more ups than you have downs. Um, but you know, Tina, you are no stranger to ultra marathons. You know I mean. <laughs> I've known you for a long time and you are one of the people I look at most for experience on the trails and running ultras um but what about for you like in terms of when you know what's coming in an ultra and riding the highs and lows how do Mm -hmm. you plan out like how do you plan for 100 miles like Do you break it down or do you just think I'm going to be out for one big adventure? Like how do you particularly (laughs) plan for anything, you know, around 100 or even 100 miles? What did you do for this particular race to make it more doable for your mind?
3: Yeah,
4: with any long event, um, I'm generally just planning checkpoint to checkpoint or drop bag location to drop bag location or crew point to crew point. Um, I never stand at the start line and think, okay, I've got to run 100 kilometres. I'm always, um, you know, okay, I've got to get to the 22k mark, then I've got to refuel, get water, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's, and then when I get there, it's the next 20ks or 30ks or whatever. So, um, and it was the same with the miler and the course changes, you know, did need to reshuffle my head a little bit as to what those points were and what I needed to do. Um, but it was always just, okay, got to get up that hill back down around blue lake and then we get to see our crew at i think it was still about 30k um so that was the first point then (laughs) we i tried not to think of going past the finish line that we had to go past two times before we got to finish so those checkpoints i made a point of keeping really quick it was in everything's okay i'll meet you at the next one which is 10ks down the road and we'll do our stuff there Um, but always it was just planning for each section um, for fuel um, you know electrolytes gear changes all that sort of stuff is mm. always just broken down into sections mm.
0: I like that and
4: Sometimes time of day it's
0: be a bit overwhelming otherwise if you're looking at as in I'm going to be out for you know 25 hours or 30 yeah. hours I have a lot of going to take a long time to think
4: yeah that's too much for my brain to handle
0: <laughs> yeah mine too <laughs> um what about running at night time especially somewhere that's unknown to you uh you know i mean i've run plenty of races and had to run in the night but like when you've never been on the course before um does it change at all in terms of running at night or is that kind of fun for you who wants to talk about that
3: i'll go look i think that the one thing that made it um i was actually really, really like, Let me start again, sorry. I was really anxious about running overnight and to the point where I asked some friends of mine to do some night runs prior because I honestly didn't think I was going to manage running at night. I thought I was going to be absolutely terrified being in the bushland with no reception, potentially on my own for hours, and that was one of my biggest fears. If you speak to any of my friends, they were like, oh, she's not scared about the distance. She's scared about running on her own in the nighttime. But... There were in so many people on course, not like too many people, but there were enough people on course that I, I feel like if you'd yelled out, someone would have heard you at some point. Mm. The courses were very, very well marked. They had reflector tape, you know, every 100, 200 metres, whatever they were, that were generally speaking at heights where your head torch was going to reflect on them anyway. Um, and I, I just actually felt really safe. There wasn't one time, there was actually a time where, there wasn't one time I felt unsafe. There was one time where I actually got out of a bit, especially early on, I got out of a bit of a train of head torches and actually was running on my own. And that was magical. And here's someone who was so frightened of running on their own in the bushland. Um, and I w- it was incredible. But I, I think that came down to the clarity of the marking like you felt really safe that you weren't going to go off course. And if you went off course, there was massive tape saying, don't go down here. If you still managed to get over the tape, you still you came to a sign that said, go, like turn around, go back, right? Really so, awesome. Like they, they double whammied, you know, the fatigued milers who might still do the wrong thing that it was so unlikely you were going to go off course. So running a night actually was quite um, cathartic.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I was running a cool. night on mm-hmm. trails. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I find it nicer sometimes and, and I find it easier in terms of like hills because you can't see the hills
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Hill. yeah. <laughs> I think um, when I did UTA 100 I had a similar um anxiety of that running at night knowing that I was going to be running down Kadamba and doing kind of Jamison Valley at night um and then when I did it, same thing, like absolutely, it was one of the most beautiful parts of the course of, of UTA for me, like looking up and, you know, seeing the three sisters backlit with everything that was going on, like it was incredible. Um, and I do uh, the, completely opposite to Sarah. I do a lot of my runs in the evenings and at night. I'm more a much more of a night owl. Um, and so running at night, you know, even knowing I'm going to go all through the night for something like this was – it didn't bother me at all um, and it, I kind of maybe put it just almost kind of blind faith in the fact that course markings would be good and and I think on the day as well because we'd had those course changes, it took out about 2,000 metres worth of elevation. So I feel like that really levelled the playing field for a lot of runners and so you weren't running by yourself for kilometres at a time. You were always, you know, seeing someone, whether you were passing them because you were in a strong phase or they were passing you because they were in a strong phase. Um, And it just felt like a really social experience which you know is almost kind of completely the opposite reason to why we trail run (laughs) like we're trying to get away from people um but it was a really it was it was a really lovely feeling just like always knowing that there was kind of somebody out there regardless of whether you know there was those anxieties around running at night or not Mm.
0: yeah because a lot of women are scared to do trials particularly races that might be run in the dark Mm um and and I think you know a lot of that comes down to experience as well and knowing like you know this will this will help someone get over the line if they're thinking of it knowing that you've shared that you know the course is really well marked and it's safe and there's lots of people around you're not going to really be running on your own a lot that kind of stuff like I still remember my first UT 100 thinking oh my gosh I'm going to be out there by myself in the dark like I'm going to do this there was hardly any moment that I was ever alone out there at all so it's good for people to know, but it's also good to know that, you know, they can train with others at night and get used to that kind of environment before they actually take on these events. And um, obviously, they'll feel safer if they're going along together with their friends to do their training uh, in the dark, and they just get used to it. And it's, It can be a really magical time to run. But yeah, I particularly wanted to, to know
1: like about people with night. And knowing as well that when you're out there on course in those events, you are always going to come across someone like I, I am you know, notorious for finding someone to run with when you're in those events, you know. Like you, you we're all in this together, you know, and it, it's such a, the trail running community is such an amazing place. You will, you know, if you are, you know, a little bit nervous about doing one of these kind of events and if something like running at night is the thing that's stopping you from signing up, that is that should be at the bottom of your list of reasons why not to do it, because you will meet someone on that course, on that trail, that will do the night section with you, and you'll stick it out together, hundred mm. percent. Yeah, like a Jenny, who's a real person. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, like Jenny. She, you've been a long way. Really, pretty sure you, pretty sure you got a before, and
0: now she. <laughs> she met lots of people on this right? <laughs> um Let's talk about that then. Let's talk about people. Um, so obviously, Parawera 100 Miler, you're allowed to have crew. Um, and you all had amazing crew. Except, did you have crew? So, except Sophie did not have crew. Some of you all had paces. Except Tina, did you have a pacer? Tina didn't have a pacer. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So, firstly, Tina, um who was your crew what was it like to have her and what made you choose not to have a pacer Mm,
4: so one of my very best running friends kelly was my crew um and she had offered to come over with me which was just amazing i just about cried when she offered i was so excited (laughs) because previously i was going over by myself um when we'd originally booked it the family were coming but you know Plus two years, the kids are in high school and and the timing was just terrible. So I was going by myself. Um, So she offered to come and that just, it just made my whole world so much better. Um, You know, even just from a planning perspective, if I wanted to change my shoes, I didn't have to have three pairs of shoes in three different places for when I might want to change them Mm -hmm. because I knew I could leave them with her and she would carry them, (laughs) you know, things like that. And just, just made my whole life a lot easier. From that perspective but also in my race plan where I would say things like at this stage I need to make sure I've got my headlight or I've eaten this or done that you know I would come in and she would say to me have you done this you've got to do this and just like oh yeah completely forgot and then two minutes later she would say you still haven't done that oh yeah I've got you know <laughs> you just your brain just doesn't work the way that you think it's going to work um so having a crew to just remind me of those things and keep me moving hurry me along check remember to check all those things that you forget or you think about when you're on the trail like oh I think I've got you know a bit of chafe on the back of my back that I want to put some cream on or something like that but 20 kilometers later when you get to the aid station it's Mm. you know gone replaced by some other random thought in your head Um, so yeah so having a crew, I thought was just it was Yeah, absolutely incredible. I love having a crew. Um, And I've never really had – I've had a crew, I think, once for a 100K event. I've usually just used drop bags. Mm. Um, No, actually, maybe twice I've had crew. Um, But, yeah, always. it's always nice to have a crew.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And why did you choose not to have a pacer? Was it more because you just didn't have the person to to come?
4: Yeah, it was a little bit of that. But also I was a bit – because of my injury – Um, And on the original course, Paces joined at 120K. I didn't know if I was going to get to 120K. So I didn't want to waste someone's time to be meeting me at midnight or two or three in the morning and for me to maybe not even get that far. Um, I also knew I probably wouldn't be travelling particularly fast by that stage. Um, And I've done a couple of, because I've done Kokoda a couple of times, um, we've gone right through the night and we've done that at a really slow pace but I knew I could keep myself moving so um I was happy to do it without a pacer um so yeah I didn't worry too much about not getting one and
0: did it like did it matter anyway in the end like were you able to just chat to the people around you and
4: yeah yeah and like um someone said before you know you would pass someone then they would pass you you know, and afterwards you're at the finish line and there's like twenty people that you suddenly realize that you know or you recognize because you've seen them on course fifteen times yeah. <laughs> across the course of a you know, a day and a half. Um, and there's always everyone has their high moments and their low moments and are chatty or not chatty and and it's just like that out on the course as well. It was a lot quieter, definitely, between probably I'd say one AM and about four. It's kind of that really Quiet time where people get a bit sleepy and not so chatty. But there is, yeah, there was just always people around. So there was never any concern about something happen or needing someone there to, you know, to be with me and keep me company.
0: And what about you, Sarah? You had Jenny come and pace you. What was that like having someone? Was this the first race you would have done that you were allowed to have a pacer?
2: yeah yep first race i've done where i could have a pacer so when she mentioned that she was going to come over and watch so emma who was another of her runners doing the 100k and myself um and she said offered to pay so i jumped at the chance because i thought great this you know she she knows me she knows how i run um You know just having that that person there to support you and chat to you take your mind off things would be just the best way to end a race so i was very grateful and she joined me at 112 k's so with the course change we could there was a few different um points the paces could come in and so we we decided 112 would be would be probably be the best for us so she joined me then and we were just heading into the evening. So we got a little bit of daylight together, maybe about maybe about an hour of daylight together and then it started to get dark. So it was nice to have that extra head torch um, mm. and just person to keep you going, chat away with and, um, yeah, just keep me moving throughout the night. And especially, like Tina said, when you start to get a bit tired and a bit quiet from, you know, maybe about 2 a.m., 2, 3, 4 a.m., It was pretty quiet, but she just kept me moving and didn't let me sit down, didn't let me stop, helped me at the aid stations, shoved sandwiches in my face, (laughs) which was, you know, your brain's just not working and you stop fueling yourself. So to have that person there to grab grapes for you and sandwiches for you and say, eat this, eat this, go on, you got to have this. And yeah, it was the best. Absolutely. So I did drop bags up until then. and, yeah, I just think it was, it was a fantastic way to finish having her there. Mm.
0: And I guess they're almost like your brain <laughs> at that point because I know my brain wouldn't be functioning very well. Um, to be, like you said, just to remember to keep eating. You probably don't even feel like eating, but the fact that they're there telling you you have to do it is enough to do it. Um, and just to keep you moving. Is it, I'm, I mean, did any of you feel like you just wanted to lay down and go to sleep at any point?
3: Oh, my goodness. So uh, one kilometre to go at the very end, <laughs> in my head, I was laughing hysterically. And I said to Chantelle, who was my pacer, an amazing RMA from Victoria, I said to Chantelle, and, and I don't think it came across with the humour that was actually the dialogue in my head. My brain is telling me that that little shrub over there looks so comfortable and I should just take a nap and like, I had this dialogue in my head going about this nap that I was going to take under in the middle of the most stinkiest smell I've ever smelled under this little shrub, just, you know. And she was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. But it's funny because my brain's telling me to take a nap. And she's like, no, but we're nearly there. I was like, I know we're nearly there, but my brain's telling me that this shrub, perfect nap positioning.
0: Well, imagine at that gonna... time in the morning it's time to have a nap <laughs> after you've run that long. Yeah, like four yeah. for hours or whatever it was like that's a long time to stay awake did anyone take anything to keep them
1: awake
0: not
4: no, no. caffeine is part of my nutrition plan
0: yeah just caffeine yep
4: yeah. and on the nap thing i didn't i didn't stop and have a nap but i did see two people napping along the course and just with their paces standing there waiting for them to wake up
1: so like oh, are you okay <laughs> yeah just having your nap it's all right <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's totally okay mm-hmm.
0: i mean i remember doing that with michelle and the lara Pinto, like she was having mm-hmm five minute naps like literally three minute naps we'd time her lights out sleep she'd power power sleep for three minutes and then right get up time to move and it's amazing how great she'd feel after just like a few minutes of having i don't know so no one hallucinated no one saw any care bears in the forest someone said (laughs) did anyone see any care bears in the forest that was a question okay so maybe you needed a, a bit longer out there to see those things
1: I saw. I started to um, not so much hallucinate, but there was a couple of moments coming out of um, Blue Lake. For the last time, it must have been. It was. It was dark and like just getting, just getting light, maybe. And um, there was just this like collection of ferns that was just kind of shaped in a way that looked like, really bizarrely, somebody out of. Um, out of cats, the musical, you know, how they wear the all in one, like it like a black and white striped cat, like just kind of sitting there all curled up in the tree. And I went, and I said to my pacer, Tanya, does that look like a person dressed as a cat? She's like, yes, yes, it does. Okay, okay. So it doesn't really count as a hallucination, but I definitely, you know, your eyes get tired and mm-hmm. they start kind of yeah. playing, playing kind of tricks on you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I hallucinated more in um, Lara Pinter than, but yeah, not, not for Tara Vera. Hmm, interesting.
0: Um, I really wanted to know, and this might be a bit personal, you don't have to answer this one. There's two personal questions. <laughs> one is for women, and I think it's important we talk about this. Did anybody have their period while running hundred miles?
1: Oh man. Oh, that's three of Three of you. Three of you.
0: All I right. Did- so what was it like on course for you? Were you did you have the facilities that you would require? or having your period and what do you suggest
1: that races do to help women like you so I got my period at 130 k's so I had been spending time with lots of other women a couple of weeks beforehand trying to encourage things along Um, (laughs) did not work um so I knew it was a risk so I went in prepared um for it to happen so I carried a tampon with me just in case um and I had we were very lucky with the in the, with the course changes in that we only really had two drop bags that we kind of looped through so I had a box of tampons in each in each one um and so that was okay and I think really the only saving grace for the course um and for the organizers of the event was purely because of how close those aid stations were to each other um, that meant that we you know that as a woman you you know you could kind of take care of what you needed to take care of when you're out on course um how so, close were they like what kilometers oh, i by? think the most the, the the biggest distance once we so 17ks was the biggest distance between aid stations but that was at the very beginning mm-hmm. once we were in that loop the biggest distance between aid stations was 13 kilometers most of them were nine 10ks apart mm-hmm. um which was great mm-hmm. so you know kind of hour and a half of of running you know obviously got a little bit Um, slower at night Um, but I I think and it's something that I've spoken to quite a few people about recently I think there's a lot of work for event organizers across the board to to support female runners in this space Um, because it's just something that it happens like it's it's nature um it's going to happen you know on course if you know if we're lucky enough to have an event where there's 50% women um you know i wouldn't even want to know what the percentage of the people that are you know menstruating and 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 actually have their period whilst running and it does make it harder it's draining you just brain power of kind of what's going on you know it's messy it's not pleasant it's you know you don't feel great your energy levels are, are a lot lower um, and so, I think there's definitely room to just have those facilities um, better, and to be able to have those supplies. I know that um, GSER, Great Southern Endurance Run, announced end of last year that they were making sure that there were female hygiene products available at every aid station,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I thought was great. Like it's so simple, and you kind of go, "Yeah, why isn't that a thing?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, then it, doing it, it as
0: well, so they've they've got that as well. amazing
1: yeah and it it, and i think it should become part of just kind of part of the parcel um yeah so it sucked but it wasn't a reason to stop yeah
0: i mean i asked that question because people just don't talk about it but it happens to us every single day (laughs) like there's women that have their period and it's just a fact of life and that we we don't just stop running 100 miles because we've got our period so absolutely it's
1: not it's not a reason not to to toe the line and um and, and i think the more we do talk about it you know, the more it won't become a big deal. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. I think it's it's really important that, that we do um bring it up in, in conversation, you know. Yeah. yeah.
4: It was one of the things I raised in my um feedback to Iron Man when they sent out their questionnaire because the all of the portaloos had urinals in them rather than hand basins. So there was nowhere to wash your hands. Mm. And towards the end of the Milo course they were running out of toilet paper. So You're looking for something to wash your hands with (laughs) as well as something to, you know, deal with yourself with. Um and the Port were full and just not a pleasant place to be. So it was Mm, yeah
0: yeah. even (laughs) just sanitation like bins and things like that.
4: Yeah.
0: You need, you know, you don't want to washing facilities with you. (laughs) Like Yeah, we've got a long way to go in that regard yeah. um, because a lot of these races do have near 50% women running and yeah. sometimes more. <laughs> so they need to be catering um, for the women. Yeah. The other personal question I had, which I know Sophie really did want to touch on, um, was the weigh-ins. So um, people that aren't aware in um, you know, a miler, not every miler, but most I would say would do a weigh-in before you start. So they put you on the scale and they weigh you and then they weigh you at the end just to make sure that you haven't, well, they might weigh you through the race in particular events, um, just to make sure you haven't lost a certain percentage of your body weight, which would be deemed dangerous. Was that for women and just personally for any of you
3: a big trigger? Can I just pause you for a sec, Nicole, because um, one thing actually that I learned is it's also to check you haven't put on too much weight. Mm. So one of my friends that I ran with actually put on too much water weight mm. um, and that's to look at sort of the the problem of not dehydration but sort of over-hydrating hy- as well. So I, when I learnt that, it was an interesting um it was an interesting sort of understanding about the why, but I understand that the trigger is a different thing, but sort of understanding the reason behind it was, um, I think, a little bit helpful to justify it.
0: Yeah.
3: But I think there's there's also, um, I think that in itself is also a bit, um, uh, you know, some people have different opinions on and how valid that might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. there so be the- maybe
0: a way a better, like, mm,
1: I don't know, Sophie, what do you think? So I I understand the risk, and exactly like Emma was saying, so obviously you don't want to lose too much weight because that is obviously a you know a good indication of, of you know extreme dehydration and that you haven't been fueling properly. Putting on weight can be a sign of hyponatremia, which is having um, too little sodium in your body um, and too much water. So I understand the reasons for it um, personally um i am an individual who has struggled with eating disorders um i struggled with disordered eating for 20 years of my adolescence and into my adulthood so when i found out that the weigh-in was going to happen there was just that little bit of a trigger so i don't weigh myself um because it's uh, you know i'm in a place now where i know that my weight is not um a, a factor in how much joy i have in my life it doesn't define who i am um and i am so grateful for what my body allows me to be able to do um and so weight is just something that is just not part of my my daily life um and so i probably chucked a bit of a tandy when i found out that it was going to happen and i think it happened across not just the miler but the other distances as well um and it was before and and after um it then fell out of my head completely, and it wasn't until we actually got there that, um, when we're doing race check-in, that we're literally in the queue, and it was like, oh, and this is the bit where you, you know, where you go and have your weigh-in, and I was with Sarah, and I was with Jenny, and with Emma, and it was, uh, it, it was as if I'd just seen a car crash. Like my whole body just went into. Um, anxiety mode um you know I've started I felt sweaty and my heart was racing I had that like metallic taste in my mouth that you kind of get when anxiety hits and it really threw me for a loop because I completely forgotten about it and um so I kind of went well this is happening I can't stop it Um, and so when we went up to the the counters to go and be weighed I just said to the um to the lady that was doing my weigh-in I said I don't want to see the number I said, you can't tell me what the number is. And I told her why. I said, I've suffered with eating disorders in the past. I can't know what the number is. Um, And you know, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, having other people there, I don't know. And it, and it took me a, a hot minute to kind of get over that. Like Sarah could obviously, you know, I've known Sarah for a very, very long time and she could tell that something had had affected me, I, um, whether she kind of knew exactly what it was, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it until kind of afterwards. Um, and, you know, and once it was done, it was it was done. I didn't look at the scales. I you know, They didn't tell me what the number was. Um, it got kind of complicated again at the end of the race so they do a a weigh-in obviously at the end and I said the same thing to them when I finished. Um, It got a little bit complicated because I then started to feel really sick so I had had a couple of uh, vomits on course um, which apparently is my latest thing Um, and so I ended up feeling really nauseous going back to see medical just to get a cup to spew into um and they kind of they started asking questions of have you put on weight and what was your weight beforehand and I had to kind of go I can't I, I don't know don't know what my weight was I don't know if I've put on weight I'm you know I'm someone that has had eating disorders and I don't want to know and the medics were great about it and they went off and found out so I still don't know whether I gained or lost um so yeah from that side of things I can uh, I can understand the medical side of things, but psychologically, um, I think it's a it's a really um it was a very triggering experience to me. I don't know what you know what's right and what's wrong in terms of what should happen. Um, but that was that for me was the most unpleasant part of the the entire experience. Hmm. I mean, I
0: think yeah, it's it's tough. it's definitely probably a necessity to do it for a hundred miles. I'm not sure about the other distances, um, but you did the right thing, I think, by you you acknowledged that it was a trigger for you, and you told them that you didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. I guess the the number, um, so that's one way people could go about it. Um, and just I guess preparing yourself beforehand for that this is actually you know knowing if you want to run hundred miles, depending on the race. And obviously now people know if they're going to do Tarawera, <laughs> that's something that's going to happen. Absolutely, yeah. Is you're gonna you're gonna have to get weighed in um, at the beginning and the end of the race. So mm-hmm. yeah. I just, I don't know the answer either, but I thought it'd be a good thing to touch on because it might be a trigger for a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. women and men, I guess.
1: Yep.
0: Not just yep. women. Um, I wanted to talk lastly about what is something that you used to mentally push yourself through this event so obviously for all of you this was beyond anything you'd ever done before in terms of distance um what sort of tools or strategies did you use particularly to get yourself to the end so this could be a mental strategy could be a physical strategy could be a nutritional strategy just choose one and we'll just quickly go around so tina what did you use to get yourself to the end when things got hard let's say
4: uh well as i said before kerry and ellie are my coaches um i assume everyone that's listened to the podcast has heard kerry's story um he's now in a wheelchair and i had spoke to him the day before the race um as well as the week before you know he'd give anything to be able to do what we're doing and that's always my motivation at any event is what would i be doing if i couldn't do this i'd be really upset about it so stop whinging about it get on with it and do it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. but yeah he was my motivation Mm, i love that what about
3: you emma um i think just coming for me it was coming back to my why and I, i was doing it for the joy of being able to be in such an extraordinarily beautiful place and um with my friends and my family and um i know that it sounds silly but the reason that i put those fairy lights in my drop bag for that night loop was because i find them frivolous and fun and joyful and it made people kind of smile as we went by and um i know it sounds like like a silly kind of tool or trick but it just reminds me to do the joy the joy element of running you know really far and have fun with it not Mm. take it too seriously
0: yeah i love that what about you sarah
2: um i think just the reward of the challenge kept me going reward of getting to that finish line and doing it for the people that had helped me get there so doing it not you know for myself but also for my amazing coach who's supported me for so long my my girls who supported me as well and just and my husband as well just I can't thank them enough for helping me get there and I think just doing it for all those people in my life and my beautiful friends who I run with as well was enough to just absolutely keep me moving and I had a don't sit down policy so <laughs> in my race that was one of my practical strategies was avoid the chair mm, yes beware the chair basically. Beware the chair <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah and what about you so um for me it was the um it was the Punamu. like seeing having seen chasing Punamu, the the YouTube documentary which I'm sure many people have seen if not go see it um and understanding what it represented. so the fact that it represented that sense of strength, courage, and determination and that went through my head, you know probably all night, you know and I never kind of kind of, touching on one of your previous questions about you know feeling those lows, I didn't ever feel low. I never felt tired. I didn't ever feel low. I never was in a place where I felt like I wasn't going to going to achieve it um but to keep moving forward with a real sense of purpose not just kind of plodding one foot in front of the other um yeah that that mantra to me was was massive and i find that i always come into a phrase or a few words that i that i use as a mantra for every race and they might be different whether it's family or whatever um but that's that's always one of my biggest tools is just that mental aspect of staying really focused and really clear about your intention when you're running Mm, I love that
0: well we're going to finish off now with the RMA hot lap so I've got a question for each of you so the first question goes to Sophie
1: how many on course vomits do you need any further explanation as to (laughs) how many did you say three three okay respectable (laughs) Yep. Yes. <laughs> I've done more. I've done less. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Were they were they good vomits? Uh, yeah, so the first one was about 135-ish Ks and I literally went, I need a gel, put it in, and it went down to about bottom of my, the kind of top of my rib cage and came straight back up again. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in front of my pacer and some poor, like, scout leader who was at the end of this, like, loop who was just being a bit of a court-martial. And, uh I yeah, just had my little moment. And then um, another one at the Blue Lake aid station at 145Ks. Um, I'd asked the paramedics just to help me fix up some blisters, some blisters get a Band-Aid, and um, managed to swipe a couple of uh, Panadol as well just to help with the knee pain from the stairs. And, um, they again, Panadol went in. Panadol came yeah. back up a whole lot, like just right in the middle of the aid station. So that was good. And then at the very end, mm. respectable. <laughs> okay, um, Sarah,
0: how does your Punamu rate compared to other medals?
2: Oh, uh, hands down, best medal ever. And I got to choose. I got to choose it, which is even better. So there's a whole table full of Punamus. And they, this lovely man at the finish takes you over and he's like, this is the best bit. Now you get to just choose your reward. So, yeah, that was that was just so good.
0: So are they all different?
2: They're all different. Not one
1: is the same.
0: Oh, that's amazing. All
1: hand Because they're all hand-carved.
0: Oh, yep. I love it.
1: Oh, yeah. I
0: love that. Fantastic. Uh, Tina, mm. what lesson have you learned about the limits of your pain?
4: ah oh, you can get through anything if you push hard enough
0: <laughs> yeah 100 100 you're a strong woman you really mm-hmm. are <laughs> we were following tina because tina's one of our volunteer admins and we we're following her all day as well and we were in the chat she just she was amazing messaging us i'm here i'm here
4: i'm here i'm here i was like i spent a lot of time walking there were stages here. when i i was full of energy i felt great i wanted to run my body just at certain times just my knee wouldn't didn't want me to run so I'm like just walking along I've got some courage I'll have a chance yeah.
0: <laughs> it was great and oh, we were so proud of you
4: um Emma
0: what did this experience teach you about life
3: we can do hard things mm. with the right people behind us the right team the right attitude the right support we can do really hard things
0: mm. yeah you all did do a really hard thing um but you're all amazing so once again congratulations and thank you for sharing your experience with us i can't wait to get this episode out there into the world um and yeah hopefully this will inspire some other women to chase some big goals as well so yeah. thank you guys
2: thank you thank you so much <laughs>
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast with these amazing women. What great stories they had to share and insights into what it's like to run 100 miles. If you have any questions for our guests, you can reach out to them directly. I'll put all of the information in the show notes. And if you'd like to join us at Tarawera in 2024, we look forward to having you come along. We're going to sign up as a team. And I hope there's many, many RMA women who are keen to join in the Tarawera journey next year. There are a few distances to choose from, around 22 kilometres, a 50-kilometre race, 100 kilometres and 100 miles. So we look forward to touring the start line together and experiencing what it's like to run over in beautiful New Zealand. If you have any questions, reach out to me and I look forward to seeing you there for now i hope you're safe and well wherever you are keep running keep inspiring each other and i will bring you another episode soon i look forward to joining you next time